Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. Meet Grant Holleran. Grant is the Chief Executive Officer at Planful, a cloud-based FP&A platform that empowers the finance function and drives better performance in decision-making across organizations. Let's kick it off here. And what I want to understand is there's a lot of interesting things in the, the technology industry right now. And, you know, it, it's funny because I've talked with clients, you know, other people have been talking, experts, thought leaders about this whole like digitization and this technology revolution. Some industries are a little bit quicker to adopt. Some industries are slower to adopt. But then with this pandemic, you know, it almost like forced people to like move digitally, probably a lot quicker than if it didn't exist. We also are seeing like high valuations, a lot of money still flowing in through a venture capital into the technology space. So what is your your take on the technology sector and where do you see it going in the future here? I think it's uh, there's a few big forces at play right now. And you know these forces were already happening prior to COVID coming along. And, and I think COVID's kind of accelerated them. And the first is that, you know, if you may have read a few years back, Mark Andreessen, the venture capitalist here in Silicon Valley, wrote a pretty seminal article called something, I think the title was, you know, Software is Eating the World. And in that article, he sort of laid out how virtually every industry, whether you were aware of it or not, was was basically under pretty dramatic transformation from software development, right? You know, today, if you look at who are the most iconic, wealthy, you know, gazillionaires going around, they're all technologists, you know, Bezos, Amazon's a technology company, right? Um, sure. Uh, Elon Musk, I mean, everything he does is he's a technologist, right? And they're applying software and really incredible engineering. So you've got all this kind of, you know, different forces coming together, but at the heart of it is really computing power and it's all tech oriented. You know, if, if you come back down to earth a little bit as to what's happening uh, for businesses, for regular businesses, they've realized, you know, firstly, if you were mostly a bricks and mortar oriented company in terms of that was the way you transacted, that was the way you engage your customers, then the pandemic, you know, really rapidly shifted your focus to how, how do we actually engage our customers online, how do we enable them to trade, so on and so forth. So you've seen this huge boom in logistics, in hiring by Amazons and Walmarts of the world, right? Just unbelievable amounts because, you know, we've shifted all that online. And so most businesses I've had to try and figure that out, you know, as a almost as, as an existential question immediately. 
but equally they're they're also looking at you know our employees are going home they're working from home how do we foster productivity for them how do we have our employees working on the right things that the high productivity things and and reduce the the kind of you know manual work that they have to do and that's really the world the company i lead plan for the world that we play in which is more of the back office right so the office of the cfo Sure. How do we drive, you know, strategic change in a company? And a lot of that's got to do with better financially savvy decision-making. We need to speed up our cycle times. We need our analysts to support the business more. And if they're locked down in really low-value work and, you know, really mundane, uh, slow processes for financial planning and analysis, then, you know, they're just not able to support the business to make those sorts of shifts. So I think it's all, Steve, it's all pretty connected. And we're seeing that a huge, a huge, uh, you know, increase in the demand for FP&A software, especially shifting to the cloud where people sure. realize, hey, you know, we don't know if our employees are even going to have to come back to work in the future. So, you know, how do we, how do we give those tools to those folks and drive higher productivity, reduce the cycle times, et cetera? Yeah. And that's why I'm so excited for our conversation today, Grant, because, you know, you're speaking my language here, strategic financial leadership. It's, you know, it's how do you get out of these low value activities and move into high value activities? And I'm excited to talk about kind of your journey and your ethos on this. But before I get into that, I'm curious, you know, you've, you've worked in different roles. You've had different titles. How does one become a CEO of a technology company And, and tell a little bit more about your journey to where you are today? Yeah, well, you can tell your audience will tell that I'm not American. Right? So I have a, a, I'm an Australian, and uh, I, you know, grew up in a. I give you the the thirty thousand foot version, right? You know, grew up with one of six kids, uh, country boy. My dad was was the equivalent of the local sheriff, you know, back you know when he was a cop, and and then he got out of the the force and went into insurance and. You know, raised us kids in, you know, largely a fairly country setting. So how I then ended up getting into technology is is through a few different kind of steps. But the first was, you know, I studied Bachelor of Commerce degree at the Australian National University. And that is, you know, an interesting title for basically an accounting degree with some economics and commercial law thrown in. So it was, it was an interesting degree from that perspective. And that sort of got me then into banking. And so this is in the, the you know, early 90s. And I, I started working for an Australian bank. And that's when I started to get really exposed to um, technology. And I don't know, I just had a passion for not so much on the programming side, but I had a passion uh, more from, you know, a, a business improvement perspective. Like how could we use technology to, to you know, change the way we work with, in the bank? And, you know, honestly... I think I was like good with the photocopier or something. So they thought I knew something about technology. So they started like giving, letting me run some technology projects. And that's how I first got into it. And then I started to realize, you know, there was, I had a passion for this, you know, just the the economics were just so profoundly different. If you're going from manual processes to adopting technologies and, 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 you know, often often software led, I, I just loved it. And then my brother and I, had a, a beer one Friday night and he was working in advertising and I was starting to kind of, you know, get more dabble more in the marketing side of, of the bank. And, you know, we just conceived a new business idea one Friday night, which was to, you know, how we could build an online business that, you know, helped uh, retail catalog production go faster and easier. And 
And that was our first business. Uh, we were naive and arrogant enough to, to go out and start it, right, in the late right. 20s. And <laughs> I often say to young entrepreneurs, like, don't, don't, don't investigate how hard it's going to be, right? Yeah, just, exactly. Just, you know, follow your passion. And, um, you know, no one would start a business if they realized uh, some of the dramas that they'd have to go through. So um, naive and arrogant was, was, was the right formula. And yeah, we started our first our first company. I was 27, my brother was 25. And everyone said it was mad, it was crazy, but we just, we really believed that the internet was coming along, it was going to change everything. So many things that were analog were going to become digital. And and so it, to us, it was just a sort of natural thing to do. And we, we got into it and we ended up building three companies over time. That's how I ended up getting out to the States was the last one we, we took global moved our headquarters to San Francisco. That was a marketing technology company. And uh, we ended up getting bought out by a big um, US company called Infor at the end of 2012. And then my wife and I decided to stay. So back to your question, how did I become a CEO? In the first case, I was two years older than my brother. So I was self-appointed as the CEO of the company. But uh, at some point I realized, you know, I should probably, you know, try to get good at this and, and be serious about it. So I actually, um, you know, just kind of self-taught and got myself a coach and started to develop mentors in my life and got some of them involved on my board and, you know, just followed my passion and, and just, you know, try to be vulnerable and learn as much as I could along the way. And then I took a little detour here in Silicon Valley as a CMO of a, of a very high growth um, software company here and at another big uh, big data company and I was running the business side of that company. And then uh, the private equity firm Vector Capital that owns Planful reached out and said, hey, you know, you know this space, you know, we've heard some okay things about you. Would you be interested in talking? And we, we got, you know, immediately our minds melded around the opportunity and and um, that's how I um, I was fortunate enough to be given the, the CEO gig here at Planful. Do you think CEOs of technology companies need to know the coding side, the nitty gritty of the business to even understand how to take the company to that next level? Or do you think it's a totally different skill set and they can rely on other expertise and still be successful? I think that um, it it is helpful to have some technology bent and to and to to be comfortable in that world. You know, I, I you know, it's cliche, but but Jobs was not you know the a programming guy, right? If you sure. listen to Wozniak and these guys, he says Jobs. But Jobs was a visionary. Jobs understood the forces that were were happening um, in the in in technology. He, he saw Wi-Fi becoming ubiquitous. He saw you know what was happening with the, the trend line around miniaturization and and you know how we could actually use this computing power and put it in into a you know a phone and, and so that sort of thing. So he was a visionary from a product perspective and understanding the market. So I think you've got to at least have that, right? If you just now you know many examples of just you know really good sales and marketing folks that that you know run run companies, but I would generally say you've got to have a product orientation and a passion for product. For me, because I was never a coder, what I spent most of my time in the R&D function was just learning about the personalities of R&D, learning about that software development lifecycle, the different methodologies, the pros and cons of waterfall versus agile and lean and incremental and trying to understand how do those, how do those different methods impact the team 
you know, in terms of maximizing sustainable productivity for the group, right? Sure. Um, but I'm absolutely the guy that needs to hire the super smart technology people um, to fulfill what, what we need to do for sure. So let's talk about, you know, your role. I mean, you take on this role and I'm, I'm sure that you're passionate about it for some reason, right? Otherwise you wouldn't have taken it on. Why are you so passionate about what your company's doing and what problem are you trying to solve here? Let me start with the problem and then I'll tell you why I'm passionate. So every corporation um, has a, a function called financial planning and analysis, right? FP&A, it's this, this kind of two sides, as you know, that for your audience, that they, they all live this intimately, right? There's two sides of the office of CFO. There's the accounting and controller side and compliance and everything else just, you know, very, very important. And then equally important, in, in, and I think growing in stature is the FP&A team, right? And, sure. you know, they're the folks that have to run the end-to-end process of planning, budgeting, forecasting, try to create rolling forecasts so you can understand, you know, where we may need to course correct the company. You know, they're working on consolidating increasingly complex groups and, you know, subsidiaries all around the world and things like that, right? The world's flat today. So, you know, our clients are, are acquiring companies in all different parts of the world that adds a different level of complexity. And then, of course, you've got your, your financial reporting and then management analysis of all of that. How are we performing? So, so that end-to-end mega process is extremely complex. Firstly, in a, in a let's call it a, a you know, upper mid-market company that's kind of, say, 500 million to a billion in revenue, you've got typically hundreds of people involved in that in finance and in as budget owners and custodians of budgets throughout the business. And that can go down to factory-level work, workers, right? People that are actually supervising in factories may have budgets that they need to control and stuff like that. So very complex from a collaboration perspective, equally complex from a technology perspective because you're aggregating data from lots of different source systems. Many of our clients have, you know, data from 7, 10. In fact, you know, I was talking to a client the other day, it has 22 different ERP sources, right? Because the complexity of the company. Now, the beauty of what we provide is an abstraction above all that, right? So you're in the cloud, you get a single source of truth, you run all of that budgeting process in there, and you just effectively eliminate a lot of the friction. So prior to, you know, having a system like ours, you know, typically what you'll see in finance is very slow cycle times, and it can take four or five months to just produce the annual plan. And, you know, you're trying to get people motivated and understand their plan and get their comp plans out and everything else. You know, it's taking that long into the new year, right? People start to get a little antsy about it. And it's just not a good way to run a business today with how dynamic the world is, right? You've got to be a lot faster than that. And the second is the poor FP&A people are just there 2 a.m., you know, honestly, they're working crazy hours, weekends, and that's just not sustainable for them. No one ever went to, to, to school and studied finance to become an FP&A person to just sit in spreadsheets and trying to find errors in the spreadsheets and everything else. What they went to school for is because they're analytical and they wanted to be, contribute. And often they've got MBAs as well, right? I mean, I think sure. a lot of the CFOs you talk to are more business-oriented people these days. So they want to drive a lot of support to the business units around, hey, let's make financially savvy decisions. Let's elevate the financial IQ of everyone in our company. So we're an enabler of that rather than being the the people that are just more like a service desk, right? 
So that's what we're solving. We're enabling the, the finance team to become that true advisor an enabler to the business. And, you know, that means faster decisions and everything else. So why do you care about that? So firstly, you know, when I started my career, I mentioned I studied, you know, finance and economics and accounting. And and so I always had a a thing for numbers. I'm kind of, I get labeled a little bit as a visionary, cultural, creative kind of um, business leader, but I I do have a secret passion for numbers and, and I feel quite good when I've, when I've poured over <laughs> a spreadsheet. Um, it's quite satisfying. But, um, you know, so I started with that and I had in my banking career as, as, you know, kind of led me into the technology and just starting to see what technology could do. So I think it's that, you know, this role intersects for a few, a few reasons for me at that personal level, right? The big mission in terms of helping finance people is I, I just really believe that finance is becoming such a critical driver of transformative change and, sure. and growth. I mean, 20 years ago, Sarbanes-Oxley was, was the dominant kind of, you know, that was the zeitgeist at the time for finance, right? Yep. How, do we, how do we be compliant and everything else? And so you saw a lot of CFOs were, you know, came more from the accounting side and compliance side, Right. Today, CFOs are from coming from investment banking. They've almost always got business degrees. They've run divisions. They understand the operational leverage that, they, that the business is trying to achieve. They understand the metrics at detailed operational level. They have business conversations with their business stakeholders. And, you know, every time I, I have dinner with CFOs and do roundtable type events, this we have a business conversations, right? Sure. Yep. So... I'm passionate about business and I think this is actually just an area where, you know, I know that our business can can make such an impact for them and help them fulfill that mission of being, you know, steward of change and, and growth in the company. Hey, real quick, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. Yeah, no, and, and that's interesting. I mean, my whole thing, like when I started Cultivar, my big passion was, you know, how do I elevate people's lives through better business? You know, that that's our our purpose here at Cultivar. And, you know, I, I live by that because, you know, I believe that there's people out there and they have different talents. Some people are really good at, with their hands and they're carpenters, or there's doctors out there who save the lives. And um, there's other people with different talents, like they write books and they motivate people and inspire people to do things. But I think with business, like I love business, like people love football. You know, I, I I love it because the upside is so great. And to your very point, there is like the finance department is is so influential. It's becoming more influential. You know, a lot of things roll and evolve around the whole finance and accounting function because they have eyes on so many different pieces of the business. And I just think there's so much opportunity there and and so much potential that's unlocked. So why do you think people are hesitant to you know, adopt these technologies or, or to change, you, you, you mentioned the annual budgeting process where, you know, companies, they, they start in the summer, 
you know, they start going through the process and it's top down, bottom up, and they go through this whole process. And then finally they roll out the budget and hopefully it's by the end of the year. Sometimes it rolls into like January, yeah. February, you know, it's, it's annually based. So it's not rolling. And it's just like a very broken process. I mean, why do you think some CFOs are resistant to, you know, becoming more strategic and they stuck in the, they get stuck in this compliance transactional world and it's a couple of factors and obviously it varies person to person. I mean, it's like all, it's like everything in life is an adoption curve and there's some people that are a little more conservative than others, right? But I would say the folks that, are, that tend to be a little more conservative, it's driven from a few things. What, firstly, maybe past negative experiences with implementing ERP systems, like, you know, putting in financial systems to drive your processes is it's it's not simple it's not like setting up zoom or microsoft teams or slack or whatever right it's sure. it's it's more sophisticated and you know some of them may have had some some negative experiences in in the past because the software industry is I think can rightly be accused of being too complex historically. I think we've had a, a huge transformation driven by Silicon Valley in terms of user experience improvements in more recent years. And that's something our company focuses religiously on. So maybe a little misconception about how challenging it is to implement these systems today. Secondly, a lot of them, they just like their process and they, they worry that when you get adopt you know, new technology, they have this sort of fallacy view that, you know, we're going to have to change our processes. And the reality is you don't have to change your processes. I mean, Planful is is very mature technology and it's highly configurable. And, you know, while we can improve the processes, we don't expect them to change dramatically. We just say, hey, you know, instead of taking four months, let's take six weeks to run this process. Sure. Okay. So that's a that's a couple of the, the the big reasons. The third, and this is, I, you know, it's it's interesting to see if any CFOs would ever admit this, but they're kind of like not aware of what's going on sometimes with the teams that they lead. <laughs> you know, further up you get in a company, the more you just are used to getting what you need, right? It's like, hey, I need this information by Friday, and then on Friday it arrives, and it's put into some PowerPoint slides and, you know, that's great. And it's great. Right, awesome. Thanks guys. Right. And you'll take five minutes to look at it and you'll drive a conversation or whatever with some other folks. Sure. What they may not realize is that that could have been three nights of 3am finishes for, for 10 people sending spreadsheets around and finding errors and everything else. Right. So CFOs can, can maybe tend to be a little bit unaware of how much workload the teams are actually doing to get them the information and to, and to get this stuff out there. So we always encourage, you know, our clients, we always help them do, you know, that sort of productivity and efficiency analysis. So that when they go to their CFO and say, hey, boss, you know, we want to implement a cloud FP&A system. And, you know, may, you may not be aware, but we're spending, you know, two and a half thousand hours a year doing stuff that we shouldn't have to do. Yeah. And we could free up some time. And as we grow our business over the next five years, you might have an expectation we're going to grow our FP&A team from, you know, 60 to 100. Well, if we implement this system, we think we may only have to grow from 60 to 75 or 80, right? So we can get more productivity and efficiency in the business through this. And so it ultimately, Steve, becomes a, a, a pretty simple business case for, for a lot of these folks. Well, it's funny when you're saying that as a smiling because, you know, I've worked with CEOs and, you know, the, their favorite words sometimes can be, how hard would it be to 
And then they, you know, blah, 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 blah. How hard would it be to pull this in this view? How hard would it be to dissect this number or whatever? And it's like, well, it's not hard, but it, to your point, it, it just means that we're staying late for the next three nights, you know, and, and I was in, I was a CFO for a large company and, you know, I had a, a team and, you know, they cranked, they worked a lot of hours. I mean, just to get the financial closed done in a timely manner, just to make sure that the audit was on track. I mean, just, I mean, all the things that are related to just the transactions and, and everything flowing through the department. I mean, it's just so much. So like as a CFO, the thought of like, okay, we're super busy right now. There's very little time to do much. Now we're going to come in here and implement a new system. Sometimes can be overwhelming where you're like, how the heck are we going to do this? When, I mean, we're doing M&A over here. We got all these deals. We got the audit coming up. I mean, we have all this stuff and now we're supposed to throw in a new system and then train everybody. I mean, what do you have to say to somebody who's thinking that right now? Yeah. So, so disabuse yourself of that ancient thought, right? Because companies like us have worked tirelessly to address that issue, right? So so what we try to do is we try to bite-size the implementation and focus more on the change management. And what that means is we can stand up use cases in literally 30 days, right? So so we, we can stand up a direct method cash flow forecasting model uh, where you're pulling transaction data. It's got some really smart um, algorithms going across the top of it. So extremely accurate cash flow model in, in 30 days. Right. Um, annual operating plan, depending upon the size of the business, right, to build a budget in the system. Again, you could be up and running and that and live out with the, the users in 30 days, depending on the size. But to give you a contrast for a larger company, so you know, we're working with a, you know, I just think of one example of a $12 billion client of ours. Their project to stand up the whole end to end. So they're pulling general ledger data off SAP. They've, I think they've got some Oracle instances. There's lots of different sources. So it's complex. They've got very complex financial reporting. That project is seven months end to end. To end. So it's not this multi-year situation anymore, right? You, sure. you, and I think you've got to also realize historically a lot of this, this technology came from the ERP vendors and ERP vendors and the consulting ecosystem was kind of designed to be a little heavy, right? Because we had to feed the, the SI ecosystem. Now, modern companies like Planful, we take the opposite point of view. We're much more customer-centric. We're like, customers don't want to spend a year doing this stuff, right? So we've we've actually engineered and got our partners on board with this approach, and it works very well. Well, and it, it's interesting because, you know, I wrote an article recently about the tenure of CFOs and how it's continuing to decline, right? And um, going from five years, sometimes in some cases to three and a half years, it seems to me that there could be this like conflict of interest or, or whatever you want to call it with a CFO. Who's like, Hey, I'm coming in. I'm going to make sure that I maximize value. I'm here. So whether they come in and it's a turnaround situation or they, they come in and they're going to build off a strong foundation and accelerate growth and profit from there and, and kind of leave this legacy legacy before they go into the next thing, they may be thinking, look, yeah, we're still doing the annual budget. Yeah, we're still trying to roll this all up through Excel spreadsheets. Why disrupt the business right now? Why try to implement anything new? Let me just keep doing what we're doing yeah, and just try to accelerate growth in other areas. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's But it's a fool's errand, really, because the reality is that let's say you, you know, you've got the, your three 
three-year mission, right? And and that that's at least the scenario in the in the CFO's head is you know I've got to make as much impact as I can in three years. Well, if you've got an FP&A team that's dysfunctionally unproductive, can't answer the questions, you can't drive the sorts of rapid cycles around decision making and course correcting the business. You're not going to make the impact. I mean, I find it just running planful and every customer we talk to, the single biggest issue is getting meaningful financial data at the right time in the, in the, in the right hands so that we can actually drive, drive these decisions. And Steve, as you know, having been a CFO, increasingly the decision-making isn't happening at, you know, at the financial data level. It's actually happening at operational data levels right? If you're a software company, you know, what you're looking at in finance is you're looking at, you know, how many marketing leads are we getting? How does that actually fall through the funnel in terms of, you know, sales leads, sales accepted leads? How many do we win? Like it's a, it becomes a very operationally intensive process. And, and you've got to understand that that math of the business at those very, very detailed levels, if you're going to help drive the right sorts of investments, you're looking at you're, you're looking at uh, attribution modeling with with marketing to say you know we have a dollar to spend extra where are we going to spend it those are the sorts of decisions that finance teams have to make and if you're sitting there burning out you know every weekend with just trying to do this stuff in spreadsheets i would argue that you, you you're actually making it much harder for you to make the impact that you you need to do well, let's talk more about the accounting and finance function, right? Because there's a mixed level of experience. You know, just the demographics are, you know, there's older people, there's younger people, there's, you know, people who are more tech savvy. There's those who, you know, maybe they don't have a traditional accounting degree, but maybe they came up through like operations or something and they know the ERP and they could, they could do their job really well. But when it comes to thinking about like reinventing and transforming the accounting and finance function. What are you seeing as some of the gaps, like from a financial literacy perspective or just from like an upskilling perspective where CFOs and financial leaders are going to, I mean, they need to instill these different skill sets within their teams because the old skills of just sitting in there and typing things into the ledger are yeah, being replaced it, it, by things. Yeah, it's a great question. The number one with a bullet thing that I tell every CFO or, or head of finance is you have to have finance IT person in your team. There's a research company called Ventana Research. They, they've written a lot about this. They call it FIT, the fit role. And it's literally, it's that. It's somebody that's got a finance background, but tended to be an information systems person, you know, and, and just fell in love with that. If you don't have that person or a couple of, depending on the size of your company, right, a couple of those folks in your team, then it is difficult to get the maximum value from, from all the different systems that you've, you've got going on. And by the way, you know, the office of CFO is going through an incredible transformation in terms of, of the technologies that are available, right? Sure. On the accounting side, just a lot of, you know, robotic process automation, um, AI being applied to stuff. You know, we're doing a lot of R&D around machine learning and AI and how do we, you know, drive cash flow forecasting, you know, through that sort of technology. So there's a lot of bleeding edge things that are coming through as well. And I think if you're a finance leader and you don't have, you know, someone in your team that is across that and staying across it and working with the vendors and making sure we're getting the full value from the systems, liaising with the consultants that we need to use to actually do some of the heavy lifting work, then I think you're just not going to maximize the value you can get from it. Now, 
There is, I'll contrast that statement with there is a, a big proposition, and we say it to an extent, that we are business owned in the sense that you don't need, once you stand up our system, you don't need IT folks to administer it for you and maintain it. It's 100% in the cloud, incredibly secure. You know, IT tends to get involved to sign off that we've got all those, you know, gold standard for, for security and whatnot. But once you've built your integrations and, you know, check those off, there's not a lot of, or if any, involvement from IT. So I'm not talking about an IT person. I'm talking more about a finance-oriented information systems person because it's sure. about now extracting maximum value. We're always bringing out new functionality as well. So how are you going to drive that project around change management? You know, very logically, Steve, you say to people, like, you know, how important is change management in software adoption? And they'll say, very important, very important. And you say, well, okay, second question is, you know, do you expect a lot of change going forward in your business? Yes. Okay. Ergo, change management is an ongoing thing. You can only just stand up a system and say, okay, we're, we're good. You know, we've got our three-year renewal coming, you know, in, in a few years and we'll never talk to a consultant ever again. No, you've sure. got to be constantly investing, implementing the new, new functionality, you know, just managing the change. So do you think machine learning, AI, all these new technologies that are coming into the space, do you think it's too premature, science fiction, or... If I was sitting in a role and I didn't want to change and, you know, I love my transactional based job, should I be worried or, or is it really machines aren't going to replace humans for 10, 20, 30 years? As it pertains to our clients, it's really starting to come through now in a practical sense, right? So if you think about the machine learning, AI, predictive capabilities in the broader sense, the statistical methods, there's lots of different kind of, you know, genres of, of this broader set of functionality. I think it's real. It has nuances to it. Like financial data is different to a lot of operational data. Sure. If you take an operational data off Salesforce, it's easier to understand. Whereas in financial data, you've got like negative values where you back things out. You've got, you know, quirky little things going on with financial data. So you need companies like us that understand financial data to, to apply this functionality to it, this new, new functionality. I, I believe it's it's uh, also something that you need to take on in a stepwise fashion, right? Yeah, so my philosophy and Planful's management team philosophy is to go out to our customers and get them acquainted with the, the functionality in a, in a non-scary way. So, you know, we just introduced new functionality around just detecting signals, right, in data where... There's a lot of fat fingering. You know, you've seen it like, guys, what the heck's going on? Somebody just put the completely wrong value in the cell, right? This happens bizarrely so often. Every finance person I talk to is like, oh man, if you could eliminate our fat, fat finger problems, that would be huge for us. Yeah. And so, you know, we just implemented a technology that automatically detects fat finger errors, right? And fixes and helps you fix them straight away. So that's a good use of, of that type of functionality. Uh, on the accounting side, again, you know, robotic process automation is, is starting to be a big thing. Um, you know, account reconciliations, matching, that sort of stuff is starting to get AI powered. You know, the good news is, you know, statistically you can tell how much more accurate you're gonna be from, from this stuff. I, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the camp of Elon Musk that, you know, we don't want it to take over humans because at the end of the day, we make, I think decision-making is still a combination of looking at data 
and then synthesizing that with your management judgment and experience and everything else. I think they're a long way from, you know, really important business decisions being made by AI. Yeah, I agree. You still need the storytellers for sure. Well, one last question before we wrap up, how do I go about getting an accent like yours? Because, you know, it, do I take a class or something? Cause I think if I did, you know, maybe my wife would find me that much more attractive or I'd be more successful or okay. <laughs> what, what kind of advice do you have? For that? Well, there are, there are, there are, <laughs> there are acting uh, speech coaches that can teach accents, Steve. So okay. uh, you, you can try that. I, I have my, my wife and I are blessed with four, four little kids and, you know, they've mostly got American accents, but, I always say to my twin boys, I'm like, okay, when you go back to Australia, you're going to use your American accent, but I want you to have some Aussie accent here in the States because it'll make you, it'll make you a little more popular. It helps. Yeah. Okay. Good advice. Well, Grant, no, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting of what you're doing and it aligns perfectly with this whole idea of strategic financial leadership and this big movement and transformation that's happening within the, the finance function. Because I, I think ever more strategy, finance, all these things are tying together. And I think what you guys are doing is, is absolutely incredible. So thank you so much for, you know, advancing this movement with your technology and just your thought leadership. And, and thank you for being on the show. Absolute pleasure, Steve. And thank you for what you're doing. It's really important these content gets out there. Well done. Thank you. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at cultivar.com. I would love to connect. All the best.